I love this day. Every year I look forward to it. It's my favorite Sunday of the year. I think it's my favorite day of the year. It's such, just such a great sense of expectancy. Um, it's more than just a family thing. And sometimes people think that Christmas is the big Christian holiday, but Christmas is really the doorway. If there's no Easter, then Christmas doesn't have the significance that it has. So it's really all about Easter. It's about this day. Did it happen on this exact day on that year? But we have eyewitnesses over there and said, this is what happened. And this is how the sun went dark. And this is how the earthquake occurred at that time. And there are records from people that aren't even Christians that lived in that time, these same exact things, these phenomena happening on the earth. And you see the ripple effect from that moment. But I think the biggest challenge that I see for us, of people of faith in this day, is not that we would totally disbelieve it all, like, you know, full-on atheists. I don't think that's the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem for us is partial belief. We almost believe all of it. I don't think we can do that. It's not a, a pick and choose kind of thing. It's not a buffet line. It's just either you take what the Bible says, <coughs> excuse me, and you exercise faith and you say, this is what happened on that day. And therefore, I believe that nothing will ever be the same. And when you see the ripples in history and when you make that step and you see your life change, there's evidence. But it's like the wind. You can't see it. But you throw up a, a balloon full of helium or you put up a kite and something happens to it. It moves, it travels, it's carried, and that's, that's how it is with faith. So I don't know, we're here in a church on Easter Sunday morning. There's got to be at least some faith in most of us to be here in the first place. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if I did, say everybody here in this place, myself included, raise your hand if you believe 100% of the resurrection. It just gets a little bit harder. And I love those hands. I love them. I love them. But partial belief is dangerous not just for us. It's dangerous for the world, too. Because if there's a lot of people running around say they believe but don't really, then when the world looks at them, like, well, there's not really much to this faith thing. These people look the same as me. They're afraid of the same things. They're just as afraid of dying as I am. So what does that faith really give them? They say they're trying to you know, follow God and follow these commands, but their lives don't look any different than mine. So the partial faith actually fuels the atheists out there. The partial faith fuels the agnostics, the people who just don't know, who can't know. So it's not just us that are on the line with our faith, either all or nothing. It's everyone around us who's living in, and we want to live in such a way that just like this 2,000 years ago, if we were written about our lives, it would be so monumental. The way God worked is so beautiful that it would just be carried on. You'd have to say, I saw it for myself. I was an eyewitness. And it just was mind-blowing. So I think our doubts are our biggest obstacle. They're kind of the the stone in front of our tombs, they're what's blocking us from rising up ourselves and being more than we would be on our own. I think there's too many people just kind of dipping their toes in the water of faith. I'm encouraging you to jump into the deep end without knowing how to swim, without any floaties, without a life preserver, without even anybody next to you. Just say, Jesus will be there. God will be there for me. I will not sink. And that step of faith isn't something that we can think our way into. So I can't give you lots of wonderful intellectual ideas that will change your soul or my soul or take us from 50% faith to 100 or 90 to 100. It's faith. We believe in order to see.
And so that's what I want to read together. I'd like to read how Paul addressed these same concerns, these same thoughts for the earliest Christians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Most of you probably know that it's a letter. So I want to read this letter to us. And maybe it'll make you feel the way it made me feel when I was reading. It's kind of eerily familiar. He's writing, you know, 2,000 years ago, but it's eerily familiar. The objections that people had, the worries and concerns that people had as to what we have today, because people are just people. And it doesn't matter if you lived 2,000 years ago or lived today or lived 2,000 years from now. People are going to be people. And when you encounter the concept of God, it's a lot. It's a lot to wrestle with. And there's all sorts of doubts. Even some of the disciples in that moment doubted. So doubt isn't the problem. It's what we do with it. It's where will our faith respond to that. And so I kind of want to let Paul speak for himself. I'm going to stop a couple of times in the middle or you know, as we go along just to highlight what he's trying to say to make sure it's clear. I don't want anything to be lost in translation. But then when we get to the end of this chapter, I'd like to stop and just ask you what stood out to you. Um, because I think that the Word of God is a really powerful thing, and there may be different things that stand out to each of us. So keep your eyes open for which things are compelling proofs to you, uh, which things are difficult questions for you, which things raise more questions or give you encouragement or hope. So this is Paul writing to some Christians and trying to move them from partial faith to full faith, to full resurrection people the way Jesus wants us to be. So let me read for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, let me remind you once again of the good news of salvation which I preached to you, which you welcomed and you accepted, and on which you stand by faith. By this faith you are saved. You are reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for God's purpose. If you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, just superficially and without complete commitment. Paul writes, for I passed on to you as of first importance, like the most important thing he could think of in life, in eternity, the meaning of life, most important. I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to that which the scriptures foretold, and that he was buried, and that he was bodily raised on the third day, according to that which the scriptures foretold, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, the majority of whom are still alive at the writing of this letter. But some have fallen asleep in death. Then he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and last of all, Paul writes, as to one untimely, like prematurely or traumatically born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least worthy of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle, because I at one time fiercely oppressed and violently persecuted the church of God. But by the remarkable grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not without effect. In fact, I worked harder than all the apostles, though it was not I but the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing which was with me. So whether it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed and trusted in and relied on with confidence. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's useless, amounting to nothing. And your faith is also in vain. It's imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. We are even discovered to be false witnesses, misrepresenting God, because we testified concerning him that he did raise Christ, whom he couldn't have raised if, in fact, the dead aren't raised. For if the dead aren't raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless. It is mere delusion. You are still in all of your sins, and you are under the control and penalty of sin. And all those who have fallen asleep in death in Christ are lost. If we who are living in Christ have hoped only in this life, and this is all there is, then we of all people are most miserable and to be pitied. So there's this first chunk of thought. He says the only thing that matters in all of our preaching is that Christ rose from the dead. So Easter is always that great reminder, but really there's nothing else to be said. That is the thing to be said, and because of that, everything else happens. It's of primary importance. But as soon as he says that, he says, now many of you say there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. People in that time, just like in our time, were too intellectual, too skeptical, too worldly, too in love with what we have here to feel like, ah, is that really what happened? And he said, if not, then we're wasting all of our time, wasting all of our sermons, and your sins are still on you. And this is why Easter is such a freeing thing, why I love worshiping and celebrating, because it's just the reminder we are not going to pay for the things that we've done wrong, we would deserve to suffer all the consequences, but we're not. I'm not. You're not. No one who comes to Jesus will. And that doesn't make sense, but it's beautiful and it's freeing. And because of that, I can live and you can live a free-feeling life. Like you have a clean slate every day. Like you're not carrying weight on your shoulders, but it's just because of forgiveness. And if there is no resurrection, there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, then own our guilt. It was just us that made those mistakes. It was us who lived that way, said those things, did those things, didn't do those things, didn't say the things we should have, period. Try to like stuff it under a rug somewhere, put it in a closet and lock the door and hope it doesn't come back to haunt us. Easter is such a freeing thing, but it's all based on the resurrection. So the thing that I noticed in there, we're going to, again, give all of us time to chime in. I want you to hang on to these thoughts, is he said Christ was bodily raised from the dead. He did not come back just as a spirit. He did not come back as people's imaginations. He didn't come back as a vision to people. There was a body laying in the ground, and then that body came back as a spiritual body. Resurrection. We're talking about bodily people coming out of the grave. Not the zombie movie style, but like Jesus, Easter style. Alive, looking better than ever. Resurrection. Not just eternal life. Looking forward to resurrection. Word is huge, and we'll say more. So Paul, he's building on his theme here. He says, now, this is going to be you, and this is going to be me. The same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. And this is how he describes it. He says, but now, as things really are, Christ has in fact, and he's speaking to all the eyewitnesses, like we know, we've seen, has in fact been raised from the dead. And thus, he has become the first fruits, that is, the first to be resurrected with an incorruptible immortal body, foreshadowing the resurrection of all those who have fallen asleep in death. For since it was by one man that death came into the world, Adam, first man, human, it is also by one man that the resurrection of the dead has come. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each 
in his own order. Christ comes first. And then those who are Christ's will be resurrected with incorruptible, immortal bodies at his coming. After that comes the end, the completion, when he hands over the kingdom to God, God the Father, and after he has made inoperative and abolished every ruler and every authority and power. For Christ must reign as king until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So before we just leave this as a Jesus thing, like this will happen to all of us. We will all be raised. There is a judgment day. And in that day, either it's raised to rejoicing or it's raised to judgment. And then those sins that we've experienced in life are just still all on us. This is of first importance. But this is also the most beautiful thing because in that moment, that could be the greatest moment of our eternal lives. Raised to forgiveness. Raised to punishment. And this is what we celebrate on Easter. And it will happen to each of us. It happened to Jesus really fully. It will happen to us really fully. Let our doubts fade. Choose to believe what the eyewitnesses in that day have said and what we who have experienced the love of Christ say still happens. We have lots of questions about what this body will look like, what heaven will be like, how it will happen. And so if we skip down a little bit, um, let's go to verse 34 through the end of the chapter. And... Let's get a description from Paul, what he received from the Lord, what he's also passing on to us. How will it happen to you? How is this going to happen to me? What's it going to look like? Here's Paul's description. He says, so be sober-minded, right? Like, have your wits about you. Be sensible. Wake up from your spiritual sleep as you ought and stop sinning. For some of you have no knowledge of God. You are disgracefully ignorant of him. You ignore his truths. And so I say this to your shame. But someone will say, okay, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? You foolish man. Every time you plant seeds that you sow, something that does not, every time you plant seed, you sow something that does not come to life unless it first dies. The seed you sow is not the body of the plant, which is going to become. It's a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body, the seed, just as he planned. And to each kind of seed, a body of its own is given. So all people, all flesh are the same. No, all people and flesh are not the same. There is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, earthly bodies, humans, animals, and plants. And the glory and the beauty of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another And there is glory and beauty of the sun, another of the moon, another distinctive glory of all the stars, and one star differs from another in its glory and brilliance. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. The human body, it's kind of the seed, right? He's carrying his metaphor on here. The human body that is sown is perishable and mortal, but it is raised imperishable and immortal. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in strength. It is sown, buried, planted, a natural body. It's mortal, fitted for earth. But it is raised a spiritual body, immortal, suited to heaven. As surely as there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written in Scripture, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, an individual. And the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. 
However, the spiritual immortal life is not first, but the physical mortal life, and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, is from the earth, earthly, made of dust. The second man, Christ the Lord, is from heaven. And as is the earthly man, man of dust, so also are those of the earth. And as the heavenly man, so also those who are of heaven. So just as we have borne the image of the earthly man of dust, we'll also bear the image of the heavenly, the man from heaven. How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? People are debating this all the time. Just go on Facebook. You'll see someone proclaiming something that they know it's going to happen and when it's going to happen here from Scripture. This is what it will look like. Paul says, I say this, believers, flesh and blood cannot inherit nor be part of the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So listen very carefully. I tell you a mystery, a secret truth decreed by God and previously hidden but now revealed. We will not all just sleep in death. We will all be completely changed, wondrously transformed, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call. For a trumpet will sound, and the dead who believed in Christ will be raised imperishable. And we will be completely changed, wondrously transformed. For this perishable part of us must put on the imperishable nature, and this mortal part of us must put on immortality. And then when this perishable puts on the imperishable, when this mortal puts on immortality, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, his last few phrases to wrap up all his thoughts. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, it is not futile, it is not wasted, and it is never without purpose. We have some in our church family who have experienced loss recently. We have some who, like Maria D'Angelis, our dear sister, she's on hospice at home. Like the, Sometimes we feel close to this and wonder what is it going to be like. And sometimes we're very detached from it. You know, We just feel healthy. Life is good. There's no end in sight. Things will go on as always. But Easter is a time to stop and say, no, there is an end to this life. But it is not the end of everything. And this is what it looks like. For those of us who wonder, this chapter is revealed to Paul, spoken to us. This really happened to Jesus, all of this. And this will really happen to you, each and every one of us. And this is what's of first importance. We don't have to be afraid of that question. And we don't even have to be afraid of doubting. You know, David's kind of vulnerable. He's sharing, you know, when we doubt. I say the same thing for me when I doubt. What do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we encounter thoughts? Like, I don't know how to wrestle with that thought. What do we do when we encounter fears? Like, I shouldn't worry about that if I really believe. Why am I worrying? Do I not believe as much as I thought? Those are just the moments to kind of reset and to say, okay, I come back to the fact that I choose to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And all these things that I've seen in my life, all these things that make sense, this feeling of freedom that I experience are because of that choice. But you can't, how do I say this? You can't choose to believe. You can choose to accept. You can like give in to Jesus, but you can't convince yourself into Jesus. Does that make sense? I know I'm not saying that as well as I want to, so I, I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say there. The faith is a giving in. 
So you don't have to have all of your, your questions answered to just give in to Jesus. Faith isn't like, well, if I just try harder, I can believe. No, faith is like, I submit. And so therefore, it relieves the pressure of trying to like figure everything out. We, we could know nothing. And if we just believe, then the things that we need start happening. And God starts becoming closer in our experience. The thing that stood out to me was just simply the, the definition that I want us to have for ourselves, to be resurrection people. And the way I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I don't want to just be salvation people, because if we believe that life is just long and hard, and then we get to heaven and it's good, you're going to approach your problems that same way. You're going to live like a salvation problem. Well, we'll get through it eventually. That's a thing. That's a real thing. If we don't believe in any sort of afterlife, it's like, well, this is all there is. I better just live for today because there's nothing more that'll change how we live. Resurrection people aren't just Bible people either. We can just be Bible people. Here's a lot of information. Here's a lot of facts. Here's a lot of history. Here's some cultural context from the first century. And... But then that's how we're going to try to fix all of our problems too. Is there a Bible verse for that? What's the Bible say? Get the pastor on the line. Phone a friend. I need to know, what's the Bible say? i got to fix it. If we're just Bible people, then we'll come across to people as like information feeders. And everybody gets that all the time. From all sorts of sources. We don't just want to be only forgiveness people because there are a lot of people out there in the world that are very nice and are able to forgive those around them. We want to be resurrection people. We want to be like the most resilient people. You knock me down and I will not stay down. Nothing can keep us down. Resurrection people. So if we're just like an afterlife sort of people, then, well, maybe you keep us down, and, and that's just all there is to it. But if we're resurrection people, then we should be seeing that in our lives, in our relationships as they, we go through trials and we struggle and we have conflict. Are we looking to just get through that and hope it ends at some point? Or are we hoping to come back to life so that that relationship is stronger than ever, better than ever, alive again, not just endured? That's a different sort of thing. And if I see someone who's a resurrection person going through an ordeal like that, it's like impressive. It's like, wow, it got good again after the bad. It came back to life, but that thing was dead. Yeah, it was all the way dead, just like Jesus. It came all the way back to life, even better than ever. That's a resurrection mentality. What if we had a resurrection mentality in all the things that we do? I can actually give away all of my money today. It can be completely gone and God can just bring it back. If it was the right thing to do to help someone, I don't have to be afraid of losing all my money. I've got a resurrection mentality. Everything given to God, even if it goes down to zero, gets replenished. Every need that I have gets met. It's a resurrection mentality. So all of a sudden I'm more generous with my money, more generous with my time. I have a different approach to conflict resolution and reconciliation. We're not just looking to get through. We're not looking to be like, well, don't talk about that anymore. Shove that in the closet. Leave it alone. No. Heal it. Kill it. <laughs> Bring it back to life better than ever. Spiritually back to life. And I've seen this too. We've seen this in our church. We've seen people who were dead to having children. Does anybody here remember these stories? Barren, the way the Bible would say it. Unable to bear children. Prayed over them. And children who are in this church today and who have been in this church and are in different places now are alive because of those prayers. 
It's like the empty grave, the, the barren womb. Like there are these things that are undefeatable. But that's not what we believe. We have a resurrection mindset. We talked a lot last Christmas about the, the mindset, you know, fixed mindset, scarcity. We have a lot of these mindsets. What if we just had a resurrection mindset? We can't be kept down. We can't be stopped as long as we're with Jesus. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too lost. Your finances are not too bad to be resurrected. Even if they're all the way dead, your marriage is not too frayed, too thin, too lost, too bad to be brought back to life better than ever. Your children are not too wayward, too lost, too involved in the wrong crowd, too connected with drugs and drinking to be brought back. Our own addictions are not too much for us to die to them and be done and have that be the old man, the old woman, for us to come back better than ever, free of that, alive again, this resurrection mindset. This is where I landed after reading this. Like, I want an eternal resurrection, but I want like a resurrection life. I want to be the resurrection person that lives in the light of a resurrection eternity. And so it made me think of this great phrase, and I've said it before. It's by N.T. Wright. He has a book called Surprised by Hope, and it's about the afterlife. It's about what Christians believe. And his great phrase is, Christians don't just believe in life after death. We don't. Lots of people believe in life after death. We believe in life after life after death. Resurrection. So you die, and then your spirit's alive, and then your body comes back. You are resurrected. It's, it's a different sort of mentality. I don't believe in reincarnation. It'll come back as different things. You yourself now are who God wants to be with forever. And he will restore us. And so if we live like that, well, I want to experience some of that resurrection now. I don't want to feel like it's too late. It's too lost. It's too hard. It's too gone. It's too dead. We're not just hanging on for eternity. We're living for life after life after death. This should be evidenced by our relationships, evidenced by how we parent, evidenced by our finances, evidenced by our hope. I'm going to read a couple, or a quote from Jesus and then a quote from Peter as we kind of bring these things together. Do you remember when Jesus was asked about who a woman would be married to in heaven if she was married to seven different brothers? And so he's trying to describe heaven to the people then. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So those are our two kind of cornerstones, right? The scriptures and the power of God. He says, for in the resurrection, so he's talking about resurrection. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about afterlife. In the resurrection, which really happened to Jesus and which will really happen to every one of us in the resurrection, people don't marry. They're not given in marriage. They're like the angels in heaven. And I think this verse has kind of given uh, some credence to that wrong teaching that, you know, people become angels. You kind of get your halo, you get your wings, you get your harp when you go to heaven. It's not true. It's just he's making comparison. We're still us. You will still be you. Sorry, you don't get to wear the loincloth and have the wings and fly around. You don't become a cherub. You are you forever. You are you forever. Really, really you. Because you are who God has made and who he loves. And he wants you to be with him forever. So in the resurrection, it's kind of like the angels. And he says, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So I am is a present tense, like I am. And then he lists three people who are dead. 
So God currently is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Because right at that moment, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive with God. They're not lost in the ground. And we think of that as kind of like a historical statement. I have been the God of your forefathers, but he doesn't say that. And he specifically refutes their doubt that there's a resurrection. Because in Jesus' time, there were some that believed in the afterlife and some that didn't believe. Some believed in the resurrection, some that didn't believe. Jesus clearly sides with those who believe. And he says, in fact, God right now is a God of the living. They're with him, gathered into Abraham's bosom, as the Old Testament phrase puts it. God is not the God of the day. He's the God of the living. So for this, this for me means that we're talking about resurrection. We're also talking about presence with God, but we're also talking about how we live. He is a God of living. And this made me think, this is a tangent. It's not what the scripture is teaching, but it's where my mind went. It's like, he's a God of me and I'm a resurrection person. And so he's with me now in this way, in the same way that he is now with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One day that I will be with them too. And Jesus said this because he knew the scriptures and knew the power of God. So we move to Peter. How did Peter address this same kind of thing? First uh, Peter 1, 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So there's that living hope. You're living in hope. It's a resurrection hope. It's a resurrection mindset. We're born into that hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So resurrection gives us the ability to be in a living hope while we're waiting for our inheritance. And who now, by God's power, are being guarded through your faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, that that may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like this last phrase of his, best of all. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Gradually obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. So we're born into a living hope. We are in our hope. But there's hope still to come. And as we grow in this, as we practice this uh, resurrection mindset, I think it should be how we live. I think it should be how we live. And I felt like the best way to experience this concept together on this last Easter Sunday here in the chapel I would be for us to look back and remember all those times where this has already happened and to be our own scripture this morning, our own eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. We have been resurrection people. I mentioned one about babies being born. There's, there's so many more. And so I'd like to close the service before we go to a time of communion, celebrating this resurrection hope that we have, the living hope that we have, by just giving God lots of glory for who he's been to us. We've been in this building now for 20 
five years, the church is 35 years, something like that, maybe 28 years in this place. Um, but this is just walls, it's just floor, roof, lights. Um, but God has done wonderful things in this place and through the people that he's assembled here. And it's because of Jesus. None of us would have been forgiven here if Jesus doesn't forgive. None of us would have been healed here if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. None of us would have had this hope if we weren't part of a community that was experiencing living hope. And so I would just love to invite you now, if you had any thoughts, I know I sent out a text earlier to try to prime some thoughts. Maybe some of you even have some on the spot. Can we give proof to this truth from our own experience of how God brings people from death to life? Give him glory this last Easter here together. Does anything come to mind? Can we share some stories for a little while? It'll be hard to go first, I know, but I bet once the ideas start going, you can trigger other ones. Nikki, start. Oh, all right, Sandra. She's quick. Sorry, you gotta wait. Great. I came into this church with the boys probably 10 or so years ago. Okay. Um, and I do believe, and I think Larry will agree with me, if we didn't come here and mm. Jesus didn't grab onto us, mm. we wouldn't still be together. Mm. Mm. Hey, man, I'm so glad you are. You're such an example to us, a support and encouragement, and all of this that's happened since couldn't be unless there were those moments where God saves. So, yeah, it's not just heaven. He's saving and resurrecting things right now. Thank you for sharing that. What else? What has God brought back to life? I actually, um, you know, obviously I had the, I was able to know what you were going to ask way before everybody else because we talk about yep. what's going on. So I had a little more time to think about it, mm. but I actually interestingly came across a picture um, and I think it was maybe from like a Mother's Day service, an old picture that I don't know, maybe even your mom or dad gave me recently. And I was just in the background of the picture. Um, but I know exactly who I was at that point in this picture of me like sitting. We only had, you know, two rows <laughs> here and I was like sitting over here. And I just, uh, you know, and I don't even know why they gave it to me. So it wasn't really a picture of me, but I was in the background. And and just when I had the, you know these thoughts from you in my head, and I think back um, to that girl, mm. and just like she was a wild one. Mm. You know, she loved mm. to come to church and mm. play the game and teach Sunday school, but mm. she um, she had a lot of things to work out. Yeah, and I just think of. You know, and I was pregnant definitely at the time. It's all on my face. Mm. And I was 17 years old and mm. wearing a dress that um, that Jim Creamer had bought me, mm. which like meant so much mm. at the time. Mm. Somebody like took a minute mm. to like make me not feel like I shouldn't be there. Right. Um, and I just look at my life now, and I'm still a hot mess. Anybody <laughs> but. Um, mm. I just feel like I've come so far and I could have walked away because it was hard at that time. Like yep. it was easy. It would have been a lot easier right. to just go on and live my life. Right. But I didn't. And somehow my husband came along with me and I have these kids in this amazing church family. And I know that I wouldn't be here without yeah. all of it. But also if it wasn't for 
God never like stopping walking beside me because yeah. he really doesn't leave. Yeah. You know? right. So right. I just I obviously have a lot of history in this church mm. and that's a little sad to think the mm. last Sunday here, but mm. man, I'm just so grateful for it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. For another resurrection story. It really is. And that's what we all need. I think sometimes if you don't have that story in your life, then you wonder, like, have I experienced what I need to? We need these moments. And it is beautiful on the other side. It's good again, even better than ever. Yeah, Tracy, did I see your hand? And Ray? I just, uh, oh, Ray first. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. It's all you. <laughs> I've seen so many miracles uh, to myself and my family and the church family. It's like, uh, even today, I just, I sit here and I, I look at all the things, I say, wow, it's just miracles, miracles, miracles. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I just don't even believe it. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't even believe it, that all these miracles are back. Mm. You know? mm. Some of the miracles that have been done with me, it's like, just, wow. That's all I can say is wow. Yeah. You're one of our favorite resurrection stories, Ray. And you keep crashing your ATV and having more resurrections. You just keep them coming. It's good. It's good. More stories coming every week. <laughs> I, really, I, I really respect your story, Ray. And you, you, you might be a little bit like Paul. To look back on your own story and feel like, I'm probably the wor least worthy to be a Christian. But Paul's story is the best. Like I appreciate your story, Ray. I think it matters. I think it's something that God has done in this place. Or from the very first days, planting those arborvitaes. Like, it's this place that, but it's not this place. And you know that. We're going to be in another place soon. It's not been these grounds. It's not been these trees or these walls, most of which you've painted and pruned. It's not going to be that. It's going to be Jesus. And he's taking us to another place, so he'll be there. And that place will come alive in a way that will make a difference. And other people then will get to have that place be the location of their resurrection story, but this was the location for yours, and it's been a beautiful Everywhere one. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so many good stories over the years. Dad, did I see your hand up? You want to share as well? I was just going to repeat, I think, what you're saying. It's such an example to me of my mm. Christ. Mm. It is a resurrection story, but it yeah. always mm -hmm. is a resurrection story. It is. It really is. It really is. What else? What comes to mind? There's up a million. Danny, what are you thinking? I'm not <laughs> Oh, and Tracy, i got to get back to you. Sorry, I moved on. Yeah? Okay. I moved too fast. Tracy, you're next. Then you, Danny. You're up. I just want to say these walls. And you people for saving looking for my children so my relationship. Mm. I watched Monero in 1999. Last hour chased me out the door. Mm. Uh, I have a cigarette. A familiar story. Did not. Anyway, um, I was um, I made the cult like an angel. <laughs> I'm so thankful too that he grabbed a hold of me. He grabs a hold of us, right? Or similar story. Um, it's like I'm having a crack. Mm. Sorry. Mm. So that same thing that losing my children. Something more weird after. They do. Something so nervous right now. That's why she's upset. Duck down. Duck down. Right, I know. But then to bring a family, you know, coming here from the West Coast and not having any relatives, you know, yeah. you and your 
Jesus is real. He this really happened to him, and it really happens to us. Danny, it's good to see you, by the way, brother. We love you so much. Like, 
It's real, and you felt it. We've lived it. We've seen it. Yeah. And I didn't answer your question when you were when you were uh, asking asking for responses that my thoughts weren't formed enough. But I I also was like thinking about NC right. And I in my office at work I have I have a framed NC right quote that we say like Carreño I get to look at it Monday through Friday, and, and yeah. it's just a reminder. That everything we do now, like the, the glorious and the mundane, mm. like matters into eternity. And Dave, I really mm. think that like resurrection people aren't like the Thessalonians that Paul had to straighten out because they they stopped living in the world. They were like just getting together, worshiping together, and then waiting and doing nothing. Mm. I really believe like true resurrection people mm. live today. Like we believe that all that future glory yeah. is, uh, is actually true. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. No, thank you. Those are amazing thoughts, Sally. Yeah, we have time for a few more. Go ahead. Um, I've been to several different churches. I've walked through this wonderful and stuff, but this is the most loving church I've ever been in. This is what everybody is saying. This is what it boils down to. And I want to tell you why we stayed. Is because one Sunday, um, I think Michelle was still pregnant with Eloise, and Clinton was just a little toddler, and you were up front giving announcements, and he toddled up to you. Mm-hmm. And um, my thought, my conventional church thought was, he's going to hand him off to his mother or something, but he didn't. You picked him up, and you held him in your mm-hmm. arms until you were done. And that impressed us. I I was that kid getting picked up in church too. You were. Right? So that's been my experience. What we're experiencing here, church is like what you make of it. It's how you treat it, how you live in it. And so we've been really blessed. We've had a lot of loving people 
establish that culture here. And so we take that with us. And I think in like the kind of big scope, metascope, um, our church is going through a resurrection of sorts as well. I remember, was it two years ago? We were looking at the finances and we were like, I think we're probably going to have to close the doors. We were dead. That, that season was dying. But we didn't know that meant like our whole church family is just going to disband now. And so out of that nothingness, then came this wonderful new life. We're about to step into a new life. It'll be better than ever. It'll be different, but it's never been about this place. This has just been the opportunity to meet with Jesus and to do that together. So we bring that love with us. And I hope there'll be lots more little kids that can smile and bring Danny Lee types in and be held and bring now Sally and Andy types in. We bring that love with us and God is resurrecting our church even as we speak. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of and I'm very grateful that he's doing that for us. So each week I kind of want to give us something to think about in the upcoming week. My challenge to you as we head in, maybe I'll ask the music team to come forward. We can get set up and move into a closing song and communion. But my challenge to you is to be a resurrection person this week. Be a resurrection person. Speak the resurrection. Speak new life. The things that you're most afraid of, don't let them stop you. The things that are most gone, most lost, most dead, Pray for resurrection. It's never too late. It's never too lost. That's the Easter story. That really is all of our stories. We've seen it with our own eyes. And so we testify to it every Sunday, every day, but especially, especially Easter. So may you be blessed on this Resurrection Sunday, and may it change how you act this week, how you talk this week, how you face your challenges this week. I hope it's a whole Resurrection Week for us to celebrate together. So, um, You can remain seated for a moment. We'll start into this last song. And uh, do you want to introduce communion for us? Or I think, yeah, I think Aaron's going to (laughs) read something for us. I can remember this. Yeah, maybe if you could start the the music. Um, Where is that scripture? I think I got it. Yes, all right. There we go. Memory kicked in. Cup of coffee worked. Here we go. the last Passover we're going to celebrate together in this place. And do you remember what Jesus said in the last Passover before he crossed over uh, in Luke 22? He said, when the hour, Luke writes, when the hour for the meal had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly wanted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I say to you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. 
For I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after. The words are getting blurry, I can't read them. In the same way he took the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant fulfilled in my blood. I just, I have not been able to think, stop thinking about him saying, I have earnestly desired to celebrate this last Passover with you, and will not celebrate it again until we're in the next place. So this is closure. This is the end of a season, just as Jesus transitioned. And one was good, but then led to even greater good, greater glory. And that's what we're in the middle of. God is doing our own resurrection story. I look forward to this Easter because it's always been about Jesus, and it's still about him now, and it's going to be about him then. So next year, in that little part of the kingdom of heaven, when we celebrate for the first time on the other side, just remember what God has done all the way up to this moment. Remember these stories, they come with us. We tell these stories there to people we've never met. We sit in the seats we've never sat in and sing a room we've never been in. This is what we're bringing with him. That's what Jesus was. He wasn't the end for him. It was the transition, the last of one thing before, the next of something even more beautiful. So I'd like to pray for you, for us. Thank God for this last season. Pray forward into our church's resurrection season. It's going to be so beautiful. We give God the glory forward. Pray over these elements. And as you come and take communion, just remember, Jesus died for your sins. It is forgiven. And there is always, always, always forgiven.